right, folks, welcome to the Pickaxe and Roll, brought to you by nobody. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn, at NBA Blackburn on Twitter, part of the Mile High Sports Podcast Network, the site manager over at Denver Stiffs, and I'm here to talk to you in between days uh, of this Denver Nuggets series as the Denver Nuggets are down to the Golden State Warriors three games to none. Uh, Denver has two off days. Uh, tomorrow, Saturday, they are playing or no, they're practicing on the ball arena court, or they might be on the practice court, actually. And so I'll be going over there, seeing what's going on. Maybe we'll get a Jamal Murray and Michael Porter update, and then they might, uh, because they're not ruled out yet, they're not they're not ruled out, might, uh, might still get a look at them at some point, but uh, I, I think we can probably rule that out. But for this podcast, I wanted to do a couple of different things. I, I wanted to... Talk about playing for pride versus playing for a championship in the first segment. I want to go around the NBA, talk about which teams can win a championship this year. Now, there are teams in the West, teams in the East that I do think have a chance. Obviously, the Warriors and what we're seeing from them, they have really changed the title landscape, I think, as has the injury to Devin Booker and the injury to Chris Middleton. I think in the East has really changed the Eastern Conference landscape for sure. And then the final segment, we're going to talk about the actual gap between contenders in the in the East and the West and where the Nuggets are right now. What do those teams have that the Nuggets teams don't, or that the Nuggets don't, beyond just the injuries? And is, is there anything that can be learned from these playoffs going forward? We're going to talk about that then, but for now, Denver's down 3-0 in this series, and they've always sort of been operating at a disadvantage throughout the year. When you don't have Murray, you don't have Porter, everybody is moving up two rungs on the totem pole. Jeff Green probably didn't expect to start as many games as he did. Monte Morris, he probably expected to start a bunch of games, but I can't imagine that it was in the cards for him to be the starter at the end of the year. Although there never really was a timeline put on any of this, I do think that there were a lot of people that thought that Denver would have, well, first of all, Michael Porter for the entire season, but they'd probably have Jamal Murray by the end, with everybody kind of gearing up and going the same direction, hopefully, and you're put into a position where you can really start working towards playoff goals. Denver never really got there. You, you Obviously, you can't question anybody in the process like every everybody that was on the roster was definitely like trying as hard as they could but the talent ceiling was very real you could never question Faku's effort out there you could never question the starters effort out there Nikola Jokic was fighting for the entire season trying to do the best thing that he could to keep the nuggets afloat and he did a great job he's going to win the MVP because of it but the talent ceiling, I've been talking about this for a while. Denver does a great job against the sub-500 teams this year. They, they During the regular season, they were one of the best teams in the NBA at keeping on track of their shit and making sure that they were taking advantage of the winning opportunities that they had. But when you face a team that is better than you and more capable than you, Sometimes it's difficult to rise to their level. And 
Denver had guys like that in Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr., but especially Murray, who would never really shy away from those moments. Games against teams like the Suns, against the Warriors, against uh, or some of the other good teams like the Blazers and the Jazz, like all those good ma- – and, and the Clippers and the Lakers for sure. Denver always needed options to go against those teams, to match up with their stars, but more importantly, to make things more dynamic and more difficult for opposing teams to just latch onto. And obviously, Nikola Jokic, hard player to game plan for regardless, and that's why Denver won 48 games, was because Nikola Jokic kind of rising above the talent discrepancy on both sides. But it's fair to say that throughout the season, Denver, their talent ceiling really shifted what Denver could do throughout the year. But there was always this assumption that Denver could get Murray or Porter back. And there was optimism. It was uh, parroted by Tim Connolly on the airwaves of Denver. There were reports from Adrian Wojnarowski that Porter would be coming back or targeting a return in March, and a setback really changed that. Murray, of course, uh, he's pretty clearly medically cleared at this point. And you had a lot of beat writers in Denver and a lot of people that were connected in Denver that were saying that or that were hinting at the possibility of a return. And I think it's fair if fans got mad at those people to say, hey, look, there was some truth to the fact that these guys were getting pretty close, getting pretty healthy, or at least Murray was. And Porter's a different story because it looks like he's a, looks like he's being shut down from my perspective. We'll probably get some, some wording on that in the off season for sure. But it does look to me like Denver was in the situation of not knowing whether Murray or Porter would come back. They could come back. They couldn't come back. And then something happened at some point where the players or the coaches, they sort of got that feeling, sort of got that change internally that Murray and Porter would not be coming back to save the day. I'm not sure when exactly it was. It's, I struggle to identify the exact time, but it was sometime post-All-Star break. And my guess is late February, mid-March-ish, but the road trip after the Philly win is where I'm really looking. It's where it really looks like, hey, something probably happened around that time where everybody was like, okay, probably isn't going to happen. And so you get that mentality shift. And the psychology of it is just super fascinating because everybody's heard the story of Sisyphus, right? The the Greek man who was in Hades, he was cursed to push a stone up a hill for the entire time, for his entire uh, stint down in Tartarus, only for it to roll off the other side, and then he would have to push it up the hill on the other side. It sort of feels like that was Denver. In this case, where they're they're pushing and pushing and pushing, and you finally get to the summit, 
only to realize that, oh God, we've now got to push again because there is no safeguard on the other side. There is no summit. You've just got to keep pushing. And so the psychology of that is just very fascinating because some players are built to rise above that. They are built to counteract that. Some players I don't think are, and I don't think that that's that's a negative thing. I don't think that's a negative thing, personally. I think the, the the psychology of this throughout the NBA is that there are players that are in different stages of their careers and different places, and some players are willing to just go to war They are ready to do whatever it takes to win. Some players are trying to save their bodies, making sure that they can still survive and get another contract. Some players, like rookies, I'm I'm not necessarily saying Bones specifically, but oftentimes rookies and young players are still just trying to figure out who the hell they are in the league and trying to discover their own way. It's not necessarily selfish of them, but in order to find out who they are, they kind of need to be a little bit selfish at times and just be like, okay, who do I choose to be? Who do I want to be? And sometimes that can run tangential to the goals that the team has to have in a situation where you have to push the stone up the hill over and over and over again. You almost know you're going to fail. You almost know that it's already faded, that you are going to fail. And the fact is, is that some players are built to work against those impossible challenges until they are possible. And some are built so that the foundation is already set and then they are the finishing pieces. And kind of the... I'm trying to think of this and and not like insult people and insult players with this. But like when the when the situation is good, they shine the best. When the situation is bad, then maybe it's not the best situation in general and they they might look a little bit different. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with it. But everybody's wired a certain way. And I honestly think that if you had just a bunch of dogs, a bunch of guys that were like Patrick Beverly types that are willing to run through the brick wall every single time in order to get that extra win. Might not, uh, They might honestly not be the best thing in the world when you need players that are more moldable and flexible when Murray and Porter return because the situation would change. So it's a tough place for Denver to be. And... Now you're in the spot where you're playing for pride, where you are like, unless you're going to come back from 3-0. And I just, I don't seriously think that this team is built to do that. And that's okay. If they had Murray healthy and they're down 3-0, I would never count them out because he's already shown what he can do in those situations. But this is a different team than the team that was in the bubble. There are some same players. But there's a lot of turnover too. So I don't think that this team is coming back from 3-0. They might make it a game. They might make it a win in game four. And if they play for pride like that, then good on them. 
I think Nuggets fans would love to go out with a win, at least, and not get swept. And that the difference between a sweep and a gentleman's sweep, a 4-1 where where the series was already decided... I think the Nuggets fans would still feel something tan like like tangible about that. Just like they felt something in game three, where there were a lot of people online, not just me because I said it on a podcast, but there were a lot of people online that said that they were proud of the Nuggets for the way that they handled their business. And were there people that were frustrated? Of course. You're gonna be frustrated if they lose, especially if they got that close to winning. But I hope that Denver can rise above that once again, can show that they can compete, and are willing to put it all out on the line, even if it feels like Sisyphus, even if it feels like it is a futile goal where there is no real reward at the end of the tunnel, at the top of the hill. I hope that they can rise above that, because if they do, it would prove a lot to me about the metal of the team. And whoever steps up in game four, they'll have an inside track to being on my preferred roster for next year. Let's take a break. When we come back, we are going to discuss which teams in the NBA can win a championship this year, because I I don't think it's Denver, and that's okay. Not this year. We'll be right back. back. Pickaxe and Roll, Ryan Blackburn here. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. I've seen some new reviews come in, seen some really positive reviews, and people just just very stoked on the podcast, which has just been really nice and really fun to see. Uh, thank you, everybody, for the positive reviews. They, they go a long way. They make sure to spread the love on the program, and I, I, it does genuinely help me out, so I really, really do appreciate it. All right, let's talk about an unfortunate topic for this podcast. There are other games that are going on. There are other teams that can potentially win in the playoffs this year and win a title. And I think there are a few teams in the West that are still capable of doing it. And I think there are a few teams in the East that are still capable of doing it. I don't think that there's any one team that has risen above the rest in terms of, okay, we are the definitive favorites here. And there are a couple of reasons for that. Number one, the Phoenix Suns right now, who I've long considered the favorite, just having seen them and knowing what they are capable of doing. Without Devin Booker for these couple of games, it definitely does feel like they are a little bit susceptible, a little bit vulnerable to some bad moments where Devin Booker isn't the, like he's, he's a potent force where you have him as kind of this main offensive creator. And and Chris Paul is fantastic. And what he's doing right now, along with Deandre Ayton, what Ayton has done tonight against the new Orleans Pelicans, this game is currently going down to the wire Phoenix, 98 new Orleans, 95 with about three and a half remaining. 
Uh, what those two are doing in place of Devin Booker is just very, very impressive. However, the Pelicans are an eight seed, and like there, there is a possibility that if Devin Booker is hampered, then a better team, like even the Dallas Mavericks or the Memphis Grizzlies, but especially the Golden State Warriors, could absolutely step up and steal their crown, could steal their potential title in the Western Conference. And I would still pick the Suns just because I think that they are the most complete team, the most versatile team, and can play a bunch of different ways. But the way that the Warriors have played against Denver, part of me wants to believe that that is also going to happen to the Suns because like Denver's working their tails off. They're absolutely going super hard trying to make it work. And is DeAndre Ayton a much better defender than Nikola Jokic? I don't think he's a much better defender. I think he's probably better, but he will still have some of the same issues that Nikola Jokic has had in this series, where he's just a bigger body. It's harder for him to move and keep up on the perimeter against some of these smaller guards. And though the Suns have Mikhail Bridges, who's fantastic, the Warriors have three different guys who can get hot and do a whole bunch of stuff. And Aiton Aiton is not going to play the same level of passing passing lane defense that Nikola Jokic has done against Draymond Green. Will he be a better rim protector? Probably so. But it's hard to be a rim protector against the Warriors. It just is. Like You need to match up on the perimeter. And is Chris Paul going to be able to chase around Jordan Poole or Steph Curry the entire series? Definitely not. He will probably be tasked with guarding Andrew Wiggins in those death lineup configurations. And Wiggins, like going to him in the post is not a good idea. They won't do that. But it also means that Devin Booker is guarding on what would probably be a bum hamstring in those cases and getting him tired, getting him exhausted, having to do so much of the work could be a really tough thing for the Suns and what their ultimate goals are. And they won't have, like the Suns won't have the same ability to attack what the Warriors defense does that they would against a traditional team like Denver or even the, the Grizzlies or not the Mavericks, the Mavericks are different, but like the Jazz, for example, like the Suns would kill the Jazz. The Suns would probably kill the Nuggets. Are they going to kill the Warriors? No, they are not. Are they going to be able to stop the Warriors? I don't know. I think it's a fair question between those two teams, which is the tougher threat in the West right now. As for the rest of the West, the Grizzlies are up to one against the T-Wolves. The T-Wolves won the game one, but they haven't won a game since. And the way that they lost game three was really, really tough. I do think that the Grizz, probably a better overall team than some of these other teams. But they are also susceptible where they only have one main creator in Jaw. And will Desmond Bain do some stuff? Yes. Will Dylan Brooks do some stuff? Yes. Some of that stuff isn't great. 
um, and also Jaron Jackson, not sure he's capable of maintaining the offensive and defensive excellence against some of these top teams that go smaller against him. He's going to have a really, really tough time. And they're going to play Brandon Clark. They're probably not going to play Steven Adams at all. Uh, Kyle Anderson will play. DeAnthony Melton will play. Like They've got guys that can do it. But there's just going to be really tough matchups for them to deal with. And that's probably why most people are picking away from them and are saying, hey, look, we love what you've done, but you remind everybody of the 2019 Nuggets, which was not a compliment. So they are talented, but they're probably not going to advance beyond the semifinals, beyond the Warriors. Um, and the only other team that we can really talk about here is the Mavs, who are talented and they're good. And they've done all of this without Luka, and it's been very, very impressive to see what they've done for sure. But I am curious to see what happens when Luka comes back. Like, is Jalen Brunson still as aggressive and impactful when he's kind of the secondary creator? Like, there will be lineups where he's the primary creator, where Luka's off the court. But the defense is also going to get worse with the Mavs. They've been shooting the ball so well and and attacking the gaps so well against Utah. But they're going to do that against or with with Luka as well. So I'm just I'm very curious to see what that team looks like when they get back their big megastar. And whether it even matters against a team like Phoenix. Like, is Phoenix going to be able to shut down Luka? I think that's a good question. Are they going to take advantage of Luka on the other end? Is Maxi Kleba a good matchup against DeAndre Ayton and being kind of a switch defender? against the Suns, because you can't necessarily switch out a small against DeAndre Ayton the way you can do it against Rudy Gobert. And I think that their small lineups are probably going to get cooked. So I wouldn't necessarily consider the Dallas Mavericks a strong contender here, but I do think that they are in a good place where they can at least get to the second round and see what happens against a team like Phoenix. And you got to give them credit. Without Luka, they are up 2-1 on the Jazz. That is a good place for them to be. Moving over to the East, it's always very confusing with the Eastern Conference. The Celtics, I think, should probably be considered the favorite right now. They're getting back Robert Williams for a game on Saturday. I think he's probably going to play like 10 minutes, if that. And then they'll try to work him into a larger role going forward, but they're up 2-0 against the Brooklyn Nets. And Brooklyn, though everybody wants to give them a whole bunch of credit because they have Kevin Durant, Durant hasn't looked great in this series, and neither has Kyrie Irving in in Game 2 especially. So I, I don't think that I can consider them contenders until they win at least one game against the Celtics. And like the Celtics are really good. They've they've shown the plus minus throughout the year. They have the personnel to really match up with just about anybody. They can go big. They can go small. They can play a bunch of wings next to each other. It's very, very interesting. The Heat, uh, they lost to the Hawks tonight 
on a basically a game-winning shot from Trey Young. Kyle Lowry went out during the middle of the game, so I'm not necessarily going to say, oh yeah, that like I'm not I'm not going to discount the heat for that personally. But I do think that they are in a place where they could potentially get swept, not swept, but uh where they could win against the Hawks in about five games, like win the next two basically, and then probably match up with the Sixers. And that is going to just be a, a very interesting matchup now because the Sixers just got news that Joel Embiid has a big thumb sprain that is going to be a whole bunch of pain for him to deal with. I'm not sure if it's on the shooting hand or on the non-shooting hand, but it seems like a pretty difficult and painful thing to deal with in the middle of a series. And he's going to get like injections, he's going to be drugged up, and, and they're going to make sure to numb the spot as much as possible. But it does seem like that could be a major factor in a series like that where he should have a matchup advantage over a smaller Bam Adebayo. Can he continue to do his thing and be as efficient as he needs to be against a smaller, switchier team? He probably can. Like I would be surprised if he screwed up that matchup. But it'll be interesting to see how the Sixers and presumably the Heat will match up in that second round series. One of those teams is going to the Eastern Conference Finals, and once you get there, like anything can happen. So very curious about that. And finally, the Bucks. Chris Middleton is injured. He's going to miss games three and four, or he missed game three tonight. The Bucks still won. Don't think there was any major questions about them still beating Chicago. Wasn't a big deal. But it looks like Chris Middleton is like it's a was it an MCL? Like that's a that's a big deal. That's a big massive injury that usually in those circumstances, I think you have to sit out multiple weeks. So him coming back and trying to play on that, that's gonna be tough. So they are the three seed, the Bucks are. They'll play the two seed, which will be the Celtics. And if they have to do it without Chris Middleton. They're going to be in a really tough place where Middleton was probably their primary defender on Jason Tatum. He would also switch on to Jalen Brown. could also switch on to Marcus Smart or Al Horford or Robert Williams or whoever you need him to switch on. Now they'll probably have to have Giannis as a major defender in a series where he's got to also be a major scorer and facilitator and rebounder and doing everything. So the Celtics are in a place right now given that Chris Middleton injury, where I think that they can absolutely come out of the East. And the way that they've played ever since about, like basically the turn of the, the turn of the calendar, where Denver's faced them twice, been very impressed with them both times. They have the defensive personnel to match up with big guys. So if they do match up with Joel Embiid, I think that that's going to be hell for Joel personally. But they also have the personnel to match up with small guys with the trade for Derek White. I do think that Derek White, Marcus Smart, Peyton Pritchard, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, that is a reasonable switching guard and wing core. And those guys can guard just about anybody. So if they get matched up with a team from the Western Conference, most likely the Suns or the Warriors, 
I think the Celtics have a legit chance to win the NBA title. That's crazy. That is an insane thing to say with where they started the year. They were in hell at the start of this season. But it looks like they're going to get out of it. It looks like they're going to be put into a position where they've got a good run in them. Now, they still have to get through the Nets. They still have to get through the Bucks. They might have to get through the Sixers or the Heat after that. But I do think the Celtics are kind of built for this, where they've had to go through their trials and tribulations over the course of these past few years. But Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, they strike me as players that are ready for this moment. Marcus Smart, same thing. Robert Williams, same thing. Al Horford knows exactly what he's doing. They strike me as a team that could really be an NBA champion. And on the other side, the Suns, the Warriors, both of those teams obviously strike me as championship quality. Like, I think the Warriors, what they've done over the course of this series against Denver is really, really impressive. And a lot of people are making it about Denver and how they can't really do some of these things. I can't wait to see what the Warriors look like. And I, I look, I'm not predicting the 3-0 comeback here. I can't wait to see what the Warriors look like against other teams and whether this is a Denver problem or it's a entire NBA problem. It'd be very interesting to see. Let's take a break. Actually, before we do, I'm going to predict that the Boston Celtics are NBA champions. That is my prediction. They have a tough road. There's no doubt about it. Like They've got a matchup with Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving. They'll probably have to match up with Giannis. Probably have to match up with either Joel Embiid or the Heat and their entire ensemble. And then they'll have to match up with either the Suns or the Warriors. It's a tough road, but I think they can do it. I really, really do. That is, or not that's, yeah, let's take a break. When we come back, I want to talk about the actual gap between the Nuggets and those contenders and what it really means, what it stands for. We'll be right back. Pickaxe and Roll final segment here. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. This will be the last podcast before game four. And where Denver, you're, you're just hoping that they compete. You're hoping that they show up again, do what they can. Potentially, if they win the game, you just send it back to Golden State. Make them have to earn it on their home floor. And if they don't earn it, then you, you get to come back for Denver for game six. And how cool would that be? And what kind of an environment would that be if Denver somehow were to pull out the next two games and you go to you go back to Denver? Good God, that would be uh that would be crazy. That would be insane. All right. This segment I wanted to do because I think it's important in con like in contrast with the conversation about the championship this year and which teams are actually capable of winning the championship. Why can't that be the Nuggets if they're just healthy? Why can't that be Denver in the place where 
if you get back Murray and Porter, does it look different against the Warriors? Does it look different against the Suns last year? How close is it between Denver and the rest of the league? Because there's a lot of good teams out there. There's a lot of teams that maybe Denver's more competitive with than this series, but Denver probably loses a series against all but maybe the Mavs, all but maybe, yeah, probably all but the Mavs among the other eight teams that I listed that are kind of the top eight championship contenders right now. So part of that is a talent deficit, but also part of that is just some matchup difficulties and some other personnel that Denver just doesn't have on their roster. So let's talk about why. Let's talk about what the actual difference is. I think there are two things. When you look at for the Nuggets versus the rest of those teams, two things come to mind. Number one is that there are multiple isolation threats. And when I mean isolation, I mean pick and roll, off the dribble stuff, sometimes isolation one-on-one. There are multiple guys on the other teams that can do what the Nuggets needed Jamal Murray to do. The Suns, they have Chris Paul and Devin Booker. They've got an, an entire offense with Chris Paul. Don't get me wrong. But with Devin Booker, you can just give him the ball at some times, let him go to work, and he's talented enough to take you home. For the Warriors, you've got Stephen Curry, Jordan Poole. Their system isn't necessarily designed for isolations or anything of the nature, but they will do high pick and roll with Draymond Green. And that's really what I'm talking about here too. It's not just isolations. It's just a high pick and roll threat. And Steph and Jordan Poole, they can absolutely do that. That when the rest of the motion doesn't necessarily work, do you have players that you can go to to simplify the game? The Grizzlies, they have John Morant. Do they really have another one, another isolation guy, another pick and roll guy? I think Desmond Bain is kind of close. Dylan Brooks is kind of close. But I'm not sure that those guys are at the level that you're hoping for if you're Memphis. And they might get there. There's definitely a possibility, especially Bain. This is only his second year in the league. But is Dylan Brooks ever going to get there? Probably not. So it's a fair question to think, okay, do the Grizz have enough to actually be a title contender? That's That's a definite question mark for them. The Mavericks, they have Luka, of course, but they've also have Jalen Brunson, Spencer Dinwiddie. Those guys have proven themselves too in this series against the Jazz. Now, will they prove themselves in a series against a better perimeter defense? I don't know. The Celtics, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, pretty simple there. They they seem pretty firmly entrenched. The Heat, you've got Jimmy Butler and Tyler Hero. Hero is is close. He is one of those guys that a lot of people are going to give him credit for that. I'm not sure if he's quite earned it yet. But they are also a team where they are definitely liable at times to really dry up from an offensive standpoint. They need to rely on their defense. They need to rely on their perimeter shooting around those guys and their movement and their system for sure. But when the game slows down, They give the ball to Tyler Hero a lot. So we'll see if he can step up. 
the Bucks, Giannis and Drew, but they also have Chris Middleton. Pretty self-explanatory there. The Sixers, you've got James Harden, but also Joel Embiid and Tyrese Maxey. I think all three of those guys are, are starting to qualify. And Tyrese Maxey, I think you can give him the hero treatment where he's, and, and also I think Jordan Poole is in the same category. These are young guys that won't necessarily get the credit from everybody, but they probably all deserve to be in this category where they are legitimate isolation, pick and roll threats that other teams have to take seriously and have to game plan for. The Nuggets don't really have this without Murray. Monte Morris, not going to really cut it there. Will Barton, not going to really cut it there. Bones Highland is not ready. It's possible that if he had a Tyrese Maxey leap next season, then he could be ready next year. Or a Jordan Poole leap where it takes him a little bit, a couple more years, but he ultimately looks like somebody that's a part of the system. That would be great. That would be fantastic but he's not ready right now. So this is where Denver misses Murray the most. It's just the simplification of the game, where you can make things easy for yourselves, for your teammates, and also for the opponents, that they can throw the kitchen sink at whatever action that you're running. But if you've got a guy that is better than the opposing team's guy, sometimes that is as simple as it gets. And it can be debilitating, for the opposing team. The next thing that those teams have that Denver does not is they have two defenders, two key defenders. One of them is a legit perimeter defender. One of them is a legit interior defender. And this is where the Jazz really fell off because they have the isolation threats. They've got the guards and the guard play that can really do damage and Obviously, Mike Conley's falling off just a little bit, but Donovan Mitchell can definitely take care of that. And they've got an interior defender in Rudy Gobert, but their best perimeter defender is Royce O'Neal. So they've fallen out of this category. They don't have the requisite defense, that defensive personnel, in order to shut down the best of the best. Other teams do. The Suns, They have Mikhail Bridges and DeAndre Ayton. Now, Mikhail, like, unassailable from a defensive perimeter standpoint. He is fantastic. They have other good, capable defenders, too. Ayton, not necessarily the most perfect, but he is definitely capable himself. The Warriors have Clay and Draymond. They also have Gary Payton, the second, coming off their bench, so... They do have capable defenders, but they are the team that is just going to outscore you for the most part and just leave the defense all the way up to Draymond, and he's capable of doing it by himself. The Grizzlies, they have Dylan Brooks, Jaron Jackson Jr. They also have DeAnthony Melton off the bench. No reason really, I think, to question their defensive capabilities in the playoffs. I do think that they are a team that can really lock down, really hone in when they need to. The Mavericks, Dorian Finney-Smith, Maxi Kleba, they are definitely underrated with regard to perimeter defense, but the Mavericks were a great defense this year. And you have to give credit to somebody. It's, it's hard to parse credit for a team like that. But I do think that DFS and Maxi Kleba 
are the two teams that are the two players that deserve the most credit. But everybody is pretty solid. Like even Jalen Brunson, he's undersized, but still capable. Luka has improved his defense throughout the season. Dinwiddie is a big body and a smart defender. Uh, and you've got some other guys too that, that kind of go out of their way to make some effort plays. You've got Dwight Powell. You've got Josh Green. They've got a pretty decent defensive rotation. And you got the Celtics. Like, no no questions asked about the Celtics. They, they have Smart. They have Robert Williams. Both of them are basically finalists for the Defensive Player of the Year trophy this year. Smart actually won it. But their entire team is good. Like, that is a team full of capable defense. The Heat, they have Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo. Pretty self-explanatory there. The Bucks, Drew and Giannis again. Pretty self-explanatory there. The Sixers. They have Matisse Teibel, Joel Embiid, pretty self-explanatory there. Now for the Nuggets, we've got Aaron Gordon. Where does he fit there? Where does Aaron Gordon fit? Is he an interior defender? Is he a perimeter defender? Can he take away the rim? Can he take away the three-point line? I'm not sure he's a guy that really takes away either. And... That's why he's more a piece of a good defense, I think, rather than a defensive stopper. He is the wing defender that you need to match up with Luka Doncic. He can switch on to guards on occasion. He can switch on to bigs on occasion. But he's definitely a piece and not the puzzle itself. Austin Rivers is a perimeter defender. He's probably just not good enough in general. Like There are some things that he does really well. Like sticking to Steph Curry specifically. Like that's that's something that he's done a pretty strong job of. But there are guys on the perimeter that just kill him. For sure. Like Shea Gilgis Alexander and Jordan Poole both give him the business this year. So it's tough. You're in a tough spot. But we're just gonna have to see what the Nuggets ultimately do with shoring up their perimeter defense. And also they don't really have interior presence. It is so important that they add to the perimeter defense because the thing with the interior defense with Jokic, that's just not going to change really. Like there's only so much that he can do. He's been running out to the three-point line. He's been trying to blitz. And he's done a pretty good job at that for the most part as a, as a defender this year. He's done a good job of getting up the floor. And he's done that in the past really well, too. But Denver, they don't have the interior defender behind him. They don't have somebody to rotate behind him to really protect the rim, to really take advantage of the fact that he's up the floor. So Denver's going to have to figure out how to add the perimeter defenders around Nikola Jokic, because I just don't think that that aspect of this is changing. It's just one of the issues And it's not really an issue because you just live with it, but it's one of the things with Nikola Jokic. It's like, you can't play the defense the same way that the Celtics do, or the same way that the Warriors do, or the Suns, or teams like that. Like, it's just just harder to do. So, Denver's got to figure it out. On offense, Jokic has papered over so many of Denver's offensive issues. Murray and Porter, when they come back, they'll reestablish some of that structure to the offense, some of that oomph 
where you can run plays for other guys with the intention of getting them some shots and getting them some playmaking opportunities. How many plays did the Nuggets run for Will Barton this year? How many plays did they run for Monte Morris or Aaron Gordon or Jeff Green? Not a lot. Like It just wasn't a factor in their offense for much of the year. Whereas you run a lot of plays to get Nikola Jokic open, and then he will make the decision from there, where depending on if he's being double teamed or triple teamed, he'll try to make the pass. And if you single cover him, then he'll probably just try to shoot. But I do think that as you add Murray back into it, as you add Porter back into it, you can start adding layers to your offense again that will take some pressure off of Jokic. And the least you can do to also take pressure off of Jokic is to make a consistent, significant effort to add defensive players to paper over Jokic's defensive limitations, the way that he papers over the offensive limitations as much as he actually does. So perimeter defenders are a must, some of them smaller, some of them bigger, but Denver, they've got to find a way to add some defense this summer. Because if they don't, then the Nuggets are never going to change. That's that simple. Like Murray and Porter, there's only so much that they can do. There's only so much they can add to the defense. We're going to see. We're going to see whether they actually add to it. That is going to do for this episode of Pickaxe and Roll, brought to you by nobody. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Appreciate all the love and support as always. Denver will be practicing on Saturday. I'll attend that, see what I can get. And then Denver will be playing on Sunday. And the hope is that they get past and get over the possibility of a sweep. If you get at least one game, you take that mentality into the offseason and say, look, we fought. We did it. We did it as well as we could. That team is just really, really freaking good. And the hope is that when you get healthy, you get much better. You make the changes to actually actualize that. See if they can do it. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Appreciate all the love and support as always. Talk to you guys very soon. Thank you.